So I was thinking as we were singing Hymn of Heaven, there was the one line that said, um, the day will come where we stand with the heroes of the faith. I was thinking about our, our sermon last week where we read about John the Baptist, this man who King Herod had imprisoned because he had confronted him about his sin, and, and this man who was beheaded uh, because Herodias really didn't want to be confronted with, with their, their sin and called to repentance, and so they executed John the Baptist. And, and one day, when we get to heaven, we will stand with John the Baptist. That's, that's remarkable to me, a hero of the faith. Last week, we, we said that the blood of the martyrs, the blood of these people who died for their faith, became the seed of the church. On a human plane, when King Herod and Herodias killed John, on a, on a human plane, what they were trying to do was preserve their power. As king and queen of the hill, they, they wanted to silence John. Like, who do you think you are to confront us, the king and the queen, regarding our sin? And so they just wanted to be done with him. But on a much higher spiritual plane, their plane there was something else at work. Remember that Jesus had just sent the disciples out to the surrounding villages. And they went out in pairs, and they're ministering to people, and people are getting healed. They're getting set free from the, the demons that oppress them. They're hearing the good news about Jesus. This Christ-following movement is picking up steam. And so on the spiritual plane, Satan is threatened by what he sees happening, and he's got to be thinking, how do I shut this thing down? How do I stop it? And so one of the ways is I take the, one of the most popular Christ followers, John the Baptist, and I execute him in a most brutal way. And now everybody sees that if you want to follow Christ, this is what might happen to you. Surely that's going to stop this, this growing wave of Christianity. But what Satan intended for evil, what we read last week, is that God turned that around and redeemed it and used it for good. The wave of this, this movement became a tsunami. So today, in Mark chapter 6, we're going to continue where we left off, and, and what we're going to read is now the disciples who have been sent out to these villages, now they're all coming back. They're returning, they're full of excitement, and they're full of stories. So join me as we pray for the reading of God's Word. Father God, we uh, praise you that you um, always have the last word. We praise you that you regularly take what is meant for evil, you redeem it, and you turn it around for good. We pray today that you would feed us with your word. May your word fill us and also create a, a hunger in us, a hunger to know you just a little bit more intimately, to trust you more deeply, and to follow you more faithfully. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be pleasing and acceptable to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're following along in your own Bible, we're jumping in at Mark chapter 6, verse 30. And the words will also be on the screen overhead. The apostles, these are the ones who were sent out, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, 
because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. The first thing that, that jumps out at me in that passage is the word apostles. Jesus has been calling them disciples. Mark has been referring to them as disciples. And now Mark identifies them as apostles. What happened? What changed that, that now they are apostles? Well, the word apostle literally means sent one. Jesus had sent them out to do mission on his behalf to all of these surrounding villages, and now they're returning. He said, go out, take no money with you, take no extra uh, supplies with you. You're to trust God entirely for, for provision and also trust God entirely for this mission. And so they go out with nothing but the powerful name of Jesus Christ, and what they discover very quickly is that that's more than enough. They go out, and, and God works through them to heal sick people, to set oppressed people free, to proclaim trust in Jesus Christ. So before this, they were disciples, and the, the literal word for disciple means learner. They were learners. They were observing. They were studying Jesus. They were, they were taking notes, always listening in. But now what changed is they're practitioners. They're now practitioners. They're still learners, but now they have been called to, to something beyond just listening and beyond just observing and watching. Now they are actually called to take initiative. You go, Jesus said. You go and, and you make decisions. You discern the, the leading of the Holy Spirit. You decide when to stay in a place and when to leave a place. You go take, take this role of, of leadership. And so what they had done, they had moved from the shallow end of the pool into the, the deep end. And they discovered that instead of drowning, they're actually able to swim through the power of Jesus Christ. There is a joy. There is a sense of purpose and there's a, an identity that can only be discovered in the deep end. We can only come to know this in the deep end. Had the disciples said to Jesus when he said, I'm sending you out, had they come up with some excuse, Jesus, we're not ready yet, send somebody else, just give us a little bit longer to be learners, think of everything that they would have missed out on. They wouldn't be coming back with all of these stories that had happened. In obedience, they, they went out and, and they experienced God working through them. And now they're coming back with stories. Stories of faith. Stories of fear. Stories of, of great success and stories of struggle. Stories of failure. Stories of answered prayer. Stories of, of God's provision, stories of people set free. All of those stories are summed up with one word. They came back with experience. They had now experienced God in a way that they had never experienced before because they were willing to go to the deep end. 
The challenge that confronts me, and I think the challenge that confronts you, is that naturally there's something in us that fears the deep end. We fear being in situations where we can't touch the bottom, where we can't be self-reliant. Like walking into situations where I, I know that I, I'm, I'm maybe not equipped or I, I'm not going to have all the answers. I, I might look foolish. I might not know what to do. That's not easy. But it, it's the life of faith. If faith was easy, it wouldn't be called faith. So once the, the, the disciples are coming back, they're full of stories the adrenaline starts to, to wear off, and Jesus recognizes that his disciples are tired. They've been out in the deep end, and now it's time to retreat. They're tired, they, they need rest, they need refreshment, they're, they're hungry, but there's all of these people coming and going. And so Jesus decides, you know what, we need to get out of here. And so he invites his disciples to get in a boat and to, to follow him to sail off to some quiet, solitary place. In psychological terms, what we would say that Jesus was doing was he was establishing boundaries. He was establishing some, some healthy boundaries. Jesus recognized there's a time to go into the deep end, and there's a time that we need to retreat and go to the shallow end. This crowd that was clamoring for their attention, you know what they would not do? The crowd would not like come to this sudden realization, you know what, I, I think Jesus and the disciples need a rest. They, they weren't going to do that. They had all of these pressing needs that for them were, were right in their face, and so they wanted desperately Jesus' attention. But Jesus recognized, my disciples need a break. It's like the, the proverb of the, the lumberjack, you know, the lumberjack who never pauses to sharpen his axe, and eventually at the end of the day, the axe is hardly doing any work. Jesus recognized the disciples, they need, they need a break. They need to, to get away, to have just so, some respite, boundaries. I don't know about you, but I, I've discovered that establishing boundaries is difficult. It's such a, a tricky thing to, to discern especially if your makeup is, is kind of like mine where you're a little bit of a, a people pleaser. You're like, we don't want to say no to anyone who has a, a legitimate need. We, we feel like we have to respond to that, and we also may feel like the only way that I can please God is if I respond to, to every need that comes before me. And then if we're honest, for some of us, maybe our our reluctance to establish boundaries is really motivated by our, our ego. You know, we get kind of this positive affirmation for being the person that just always makes the, the sacrifice and, and goes that extra step. Establishing boundaries is challenging. It's challenging because the voice that, needs to, that we need to be listening to is not the voice of the crowd, but it's also not our voice. Because if I listen to my voice, my voice is always going to say, go to the shallow end. Go to the shallow end. What we need to train our ears to listen to is the voice of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is going to say, go to the shallow end. But sometimes the Holy Spirit is going to say, go to the deep end. I'm calling you to this. So Jesus recognized in this instance 
that there was a need to have some boundaries with the crowd. And so he said, all right, get in the boat. Follow me. We're going to go to a quiet, solitary place. Verse 33. But many who saw them leaving recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns, and they got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and he saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. So as I said, establishing boundaries is tricky. It's challenging. Just an hour earlier, about an hour, when they got into that boat and they said, we're going to just sail over there to that quiet place, Jesus was recognizing the need of the, the hour is for rest. We need to get away. We need to establish a boundary. And now they, they row, and as they approach shore, they look up, and there is this crowd of people, and they have run to this place from all of these towns. They even ran from where, where Jesus and the disciples had just left. And now Jesus sees the crowd, and when he sees them, he recognizes they are like sheep without a shepherd. And the scripture says he has compassion on them. Think of what Jesus is doing for the disciples. He's, he's functioning in the role as the good shepherd. If you think of, of Psalm 23, the psalm that we love so much, Jesus, for his disciples, he's, he's taking care of them. He's taking care of his sheep. He's taking them to green pastures and making them lie down. He's leading them beside quiet waters. He's wanting to restore their soul. He's wanting to prepare a table before them. And then they row up, and Jesus lifts his eyes, and he sees all of these other sheep. All of these other sheep who look to him like sheep without a good shepherd. They've got nobody looking out for them. Nobody caring for their needs. Nobody leading them to places of rest. Nobody restoring their soul. Nobody preparing a table before them. Nobody protecting them in the valley of the shadow of death. This wasn't a case of the good shepherd leaving the 99 to find the one lost sheep. This is a case of the good shepherd leaving the 12 to reach the 99. Actually, the, about the 10,000. 10,000 people. So you and I can identify with how the disciples were probably feeling. We don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us, but I've got a really good guess. When they row up and they see all of those people, you can just feel their hearts drop. And, and, and I think we know that because we've been there. We've been there when the, the phone has rang and it's somebody who has a need, and, and it's truthfully not a convenient time. It's not, it doesn't ring when you're rested. It rings when you're exhausted. And, and then you've got a decision to make. Or your schedule gets interrupted, and you recognize this interruption is going to disrupt my entire day, and it will probably disrupt my entire week. But what you also know is that ministry happens in the interruptions. Sometimes the best ministry happens in the interruptions. Ministry, mission, it doesn't respect office hours. It doesn't know what nine to five is. 
And so we've got to make this choice. In choosing to minister to the crowd, Jesus is teaching his disciples, what does it mean to live on mission? Think of what they've just done. They've been on a mission trip. Jesus sent them out to these villages. They went out on their mission trip a week, two, maybe three, and now they're returning from their mission trip. Ah. And what Jesus is showing them is all of life is a mission trip. I I think of our our high school youth. This summer, they're going to be going to Kenosha. And for a week, they're going to be ministering in Kenosha. They're going to be doing good work in Kenosha. Does that mean our high school youth are not on mission right now? And does it mean when they get back from Kenosha that they're not going to be on mission? Jesus is saying you are always on mission. What's the value of a mission trip? Sometimes what we need to do is go away on a mission trip to recognize who we're called to be all the time, not just in Kenosha, but but all the time with my neighbors in the community that I live. So Jesus is teaching the crowds. His disciples are, are maybe patiently waiting, maybe impatiently waiting. We continue at verse 35. It says, by this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. And it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? So the disciples, they they come to Jesus, and I think they mask their frustration with what looks like compassion. Jesus, these people are hungry. Send them away so they can go get something to eat. How ironic is that? These are the apostles. These are the sent ones. And the sent ones are coming to Jesus saying, send them away. The the sent ones don't want to be sent anymore. Send these people away. But then Jesus, what he does is, instead of leaving the 12 and going to the 99, he commissions the 12. He said, you give them something to eat. You're still, on, you're still on mission. You give them something to eat. This is a big ask. I mean, think of, of the disciples a couple hours earlier. They're hungry. They're tired. They have not eaten yet. They couldn't eat. There were so many people. They were purposely trying to get away so that they could have a meal. They land, and immediately they're back in it. They're hungry, and now Jesus is saying to his hungry disciples, give them something to eat. What about me? That's something we ever struggle with. If I take time to listen to somebody else, when I've got a lot going on in my life, who's going to listen to me? If I give money that that I really need to help someone else, who's going to give to me? If I feed somebody else who's hungry, who's going to feed me? If I encourage somebody and lift them up, who's going to come along and encourage me? This mindset, it comes out of a a theology of scarcity that there's not enough to go around. Before I worry about you, I've got to take care of me. I've got to get mine. I've got to get my toilet paper. 
That strikes a chord. I've got to get my gasoline in all five of my cars and make sure all five of my cars are absolutely full. I've got to get my food and my extra food and my extra, extra food. Listen to the, some of the commands that God gives us. Give. Serve. Feed. Encourage. Listen. Love. These are all things that, that God calls us to do. He knows our needs. Jesus said, seek first God's kingdom. And all of these things, we trust that all of these things God is going to take care of. They will be added unto you. While the disciples protested, Jesus, what you're asking us to do, it's impossible. Were they wrong? This is impossible. There's no way that we can feed all of these people. I think maybe they forgot who it was that they're standing next to. This is Jesus. This is the one who was in the beginning, who with a word created the heavens and the earth with his outstretched arm. Is there anything that's impossible for him? Remember how God took care of the Israelites in the, the desert? Every single day, he rains down manna from heaven, so much so that they can gather as much as they need for the day, and they don't even have to concern themselves with tomorrow because God's going to be faithful to rain down manna again tomorrow. This is the, the same one who's able to turn a rock into a water fountain. How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. So when they found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who bringeth forth bread from the earth. And he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples who were hungry, every single one of those disciples now had a basket full of bread and fish. Like last week, we asked the question, so what does this mean what does this all mean for us today? And one of the things that, that I've been thinking about in relation to this passage is, is a conversation that we often have in the church. And that conversation is, is really, what is our mission? What are we called as a church to be about because we can't do everything? You know, we can't be just so scattered that we're not doing any good anywhere. We've got to kind of be concentrated. What is it that you are calling us to? Are we called to the, the ministry of the word and the, the proclamation of the gospel? Is that what it is that we're supposed to do? 
Are we called to ministries of, of service? Should we be engaged in these things that, that, that meet people's tangible and, and felt needs? Sometimes it's, it's framed like this. It's framed like James did it. What good is it? What good is it to seek justice for the oppressed, to feed the hungry, to attend to the sick, to care for the poor? What good is all of this compassion if we don't tell them about Jesus? To say it like really crudely, what good is it for someone to go to hell with a full stomach? On the flip side, what good is it if our, all we offer is a proclamation about Jesus, but we offer no compassion for the most pressing felt need? What good is it if we play the role of the priest and the Levite and we choose the far side of the road and walk past the person on the side of the road? The passage answers these questions for us. Notice at the very beginning of the passage, the first sentence, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and all they had taught. All they had done and taught. All they had done, that's ministries of compassion. All that they taught, that's the ministry of proclamation. Why did the disciples do this? Why were they engaged in both ministries of, of service and the ministry of the word. It's because they were disciples. It's because they had been studying Jesus. And this is exactly what they saw Jesus doing, the ministry of the word, the ministry of, of service. Jesus saw the crowds as, sheeps, as sheep without a shepherd. And so he taught them proclamation. They're hungry, and so he fed them. That's the ministry of compassion. We're not called to one or the other. We're called to one and the other. In fact, if we as a church just deliberately choose to, to put all of our eggs in one basket, like we're going to just be a church that does service. We're going to be known for our, our good deeds, or we put all our eggs in the basket. We're just going to proclaim the gospel. Like that's, we're just going to be about proclaiming the gospel if, if we do that, we're no longer following the way of Jesus. We don't want to be a church that only does good works but has no good words. And we don't want to be a church that just offers good words but has no good works. We're called to ministry of word and deed, proclamation and compassion, good news for tomorrow and good news for today. Join me as we pray. Father God, I thank you that, um, that you have shown us what it means to, to come to the, this world, to live in this world, and to be on mission, uh, both in word and deed. And Lord, uh, where uh, sometimes we find it easier to be engaged in acts of service and we don't know what to say, Lord, um, give us courage. Give us the words to say. And Lord, uh, sometimes when we find the words easy but the, the service hard, Lord, give us courage to, to engage in ministries of, of compassion because that's what you did. 
Lord, we ask that in all things you would work through us through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.